Hosts Elle and Miriam are two Black homeschooling moms embarking on a self-defining journey. Listen in on conversations that will encourage you to be your authentic self while uplifting your spirit and motivating your inherent potential. They're defining what culture is for their families and want you to do the same. Bring your children along too so they can meet the cleverly cultured kids. They're all for teaching the babies while they're young, adapting to the challenges of parenting, homeschooling, and being willing to learn the lessons that the children have to offer. It's all about uplifting one another and reclaiming your innate greatness. Do you know where your knowledge of financial literacy and competency come from? For many of us, the way we spend our money comes from lessons learned around us. Most of those early financial lessons depended greatly on how we saw our parents or our guardians spend their money. We've had several important financial conversations on our podcast, and today's discussion will be no different. Our guests are twin sisters who have a passion for teaching others the truth about finance and kids. When I think back about my early memories of money, the visual imagery that comes to my mind is seeing my grandmother keep her savings under her mattress and she kept her largest bills safely pinned with a safety pin to her bra. I'm sure this sounds like too much information, but if you grew up around your elders, then I'm sure you have stories of your own that you can relate to that are very similar. Did you know that to keep this podcast going, we sell merch? Yes, we have our very own apparel. Just check out our hoodies, t-shirts, sweatshirts, pillows, cups, and more by going to cleverlychanging.com shop or clicking on the link in our Instagram bio. Today, we want to share with you a fact from Britannica. And it says, the Nigerian economy is one of the largest in Africa. Since the late 1960s, it has been primarily based on the petroleum industry. And that is something to explore with your children. Today's proverb is, one cannot both feast and become rich. And that is an Ashanti It's now time for the word of the episode. Today's word of the episode is brought to you by Nigeria. The word is kende. And it is the name given to the younger twin in the Yoruba culture. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Cleverly Changing podcast. I am one of your hosts, Elle Cole, and we are excited about today's conversation. We are going to be talking about financial literacy. And we have twins as guests today. I am super excited because I am a mom of twins. And whenever I get to talk to multiples, I love it because it's just exciting. I think it's unusual, but there's a lot of twins in the world. <laughs> so I am just happy that they have made time to talk to us. And like I said, I am a mom of twins. My daughters are now 13 years old. I homeschooled my kids for seven years, and we are ready to learn about how to teach our kids about finance. Miriam, tell everybody about who you are. Hello, everyone. I'm Miriam. And I am the mother to four little people. 
ranging from 14 to four. And we are current homeschoolers, except for the oldest. And um, we've got excellent guests today. I'm gonna let one of these young ladies go ahead and introduce themselves to you all. Yeah, well, thank you for having us. I am so excited to be joining you both. My name is Dupe Ajayi, and I am one of the co-authors of Taiwo and Kende, The Wedding Trip, which you know we'll tell you a lot more about. But fun fact, in addition to being a multiple, uh, I am also married to a multiple. My husband is a triplet. <laughs> I figure I'd throw in a little fun fact there because, L, I didn't realize I'm a mother of, of twins. <laughs> So Lola, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'm Lola Jai, and I am the first for the swim. So I do take that title. So I am older <laughs> by just two minutes, though, by just two minutes. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely happy to be here. Thanks for allowing us to be on this, this platform. Um, I don't have a fun fact. My husband is just a single, uh, singlet, I guess they call that. <laughs> so no fun fact there. Um, but, but yeah, definitely thrilled to be talking about financial literacy. That's something that's me and, and Dupe were very passionate about. And we've talked through over the past several years, we've always talked about how can we actually bring this to light. And it's and it feels like a, a great blessing and we're fortunate to be able to obviously, you know, we have the book and we have another book coming out, but being able to kind of spread that passion and hopefully, um, you know, be able to bring that education to the audience. Awesome. Awesome. I did not know your husband was a triplet. That is very cool because triplets are even more rare than twins. And so I am definitely fascinated and intrigued. So um, I, I'm just wondering, you two are twins. Do you have other siblings? Yeah, we have uh, we have one older sister. Oh, all girls. My mom. <laughs> yeah, no brothers, no brothers. <laughs> I always wanted a brother though, but you know, it just didn't happen, I guess. Well, now you have a brother-in-law and some additional, yeah, I mean, with his twin, <laughs> with his triplets. Brother-in-law and his siblings. <laughs> if you let my girls tell it, they'll tell you brothers are overrated. Really? <laughs> they have fun with them, but they sure enough seem to be over them quite quickly. <laughs> So Miriam has, tell everybody how many sons you have, Miriam. Oh, I have two girls and two boys. The two boys are the youngest. They are seven and four. And the girls are 14 and eight. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, you all have been, um, have you always lived here in the U.S.? Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised in um, in Brooklyn, New York. Very cool. So, did you get your philosophy of money from your where you grew up, from that environment and that community? Can you tell us a little bit about how your understanding of money and finances and what that actually means in real life? Um, where did that come from? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, I can just little share a little bit about that. I, I feel like every time, like when I was growing up, I just have this memory of always like going to the store with my mom and always like, you know, talking about money. And maybe sometimes it wasn't not in the most like favorable aspect. Like, oh, you know, we have to save. We have to make sure we have enough money. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that we grew up, we didn't grow up poor or anything like that. Not at all. Right. We grew up, you know, um, working class, you know, working class family. So that was good. But I think as I got, as me and Kenneth both got older, when we went to college and everything, I always, um, I always wanted more, right? And it wasn't more in the sense that, oh, I, you know, I'm greedy or I'm not happy or I feel like I'm not satisfied in my condition. I just felt like I wanted to have more money, right? And it was that sense. And that's what's kind of caused, um, well, that's what, you know, drove me and Kenneth. We always started talking about money. Like, how can we get more money? How can we, how can we make sure that we understand and like the process that's involved, right? Um, and how can we also kind of share, like I, I, I share that information even with my husband, right? Before we met, um, I can know he's gained a lot of knowledge about money as well. Um, but I would say it wasn't 
money wasn't something that was necessarily taught to us growing up. And can I tell me if you would, you know, would agree with that as well? I think a lot of the information that we've um, obtained was kind of self-taught, right? It wasn't taught in our schools. We didn't go to schools. They didn't teach us that. I don't, and I wouldn't say it was necessarily taught by our parents either, but it's, it's things that we just sought out. Can I, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, you know, our parents working class, um, immigrants, right? So we were first uh, generation in this country. And, you know, we're very privileged, right? To have the opportunity to do what we're doing because our parents didn't, right? Mm -hmm. And we grew up, as you said, not like, in, you know, in, in poverty per se, but like, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, right? <laughs> like, um, you know, we, we had friends that, you know, had, you know, more money than us. And it's not something that um, it was shrouded, you know, our childhood in any kind of negativity. But it is something that you become like more and more aware of as you get older. Um, so it's just natural for us to then try to, um, you know, want for ourselves and our children a, a life where we could achieve, you know, financial independence. So it's less about the money, but more about, you know, getting to a point where you could control, you know, your time. And, you know, if, if you know, something that our parents and our um, grandparents and all the generations before them didn't have the privilege to do. And now we are in a position where, you know, we can have a future maybe where we decide that we want to retire just because, right? Um, not because we don't want to work, but because now we have the freedom to, because, you know, we've achieved that financial independence, right? So, um, you know, we, we have like hardworking parents and, um, you know, they didn't always talk about uh, investing in money, but, you know, my parents were, I think like a lot of Nigerian parents, right? <laughs> um, into like entrepreneurship. And, you know, I think that's the thing, like some Nigerians are known as like business people. I like to hustle and have side hustle. Um, so maybe that's also something we got from our parents, Nigerian heritage, you know, you know, I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, I think growing up like working class and, you know, seeing that your parents didn't have the privilege, now we have the privilege and hopefully we can, you know, pass it on to our, our children and future generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Kenneth, for bringing that point about financial independence, like financial freedom, right? And I think, you know, that just kind of brought one thing to mind here is that obviously, like, we saw our parents working, right? They worked every day. And, and I mean, our parents are well into their 60s now, right? And they're still working. And do I, do I want to continue working when I'm in my 60s or 70s, right? It's like, I want to make sure that... Well, might, I add, might I add that there... Um especially like our mom working not necessarily in a um a job that you know if she was in the same privileged position that we're in would choose you know so you know i'm just like acutely aware that you know being born in this country we're able to go to good schools and choose these nice careers that you know pay good like good wages and hopefully that can then set us up for mm -hmm. um does that make sense <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm wondering, we did get a question from one of our listeners and the listener said, I want to learn the best way to teach my children to buy stocks. I literally just put money in there and pray that it works. Since prayer works, it's working, but there has to be a better way. What would you tell that mom? So, you know, you know, I'll start. I, I have and I have two children, two sons, also Miriam. Um, and I, you know, I can't say that I have like the answer to definitely like the best, absolute best way to teach your kids. And both my kids are pretty young, like 20 months and three and a half years. So I, you know, I haven't spoken to them about stocks yet. So I don't think they'll understand what, what I'm talking about. But um, you know, I, I think the concept of um kind of like delayed gratification is something that I am trying to start to instill in, in my kids and it, it's very relevant for stocks or like mutual funds right like you know something that you put away aside for today so you can enjoy it you know for like you know future and, and later on and something I'm trying to more so in my three and a half year old and I'm starting to like instill that in him now like oh you know if you save that for later you know tomorrow it'll be like even even better and you'll enjoy it like even more or if we wait to pick that flower, you know, there's a flower that's growing in our backyard now. He really wants to pick it now. And I'm like, well, you know, we need to, we should wait. If you wait, then you're going to even enjoy it even more like in a week when it's really like bloomed. Um, 
so kind of starting with like those planting like those seeds of um like wait and then like in the future it'll be even like better i think that's a good way to start with like very very young very very young kids and it'll benefit them not just with investing but in a lot of facets of life right? late gratification will be beneficial but well anything you add mm -hmm. to that mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I like the point about this really enforcing like some of those concepts, you know, the principles before even talking about the actual tools, right? Um, so for example, like stocks and mutual funds and all these other accounts that are out there, things important for children to understand the, the end outcome as opposed to just the output and being able to send those, like that example that you did for um, my nephew, kind of, kind of explaining about the flower, I think that's that's good because when the time comes for him to really understand the, the point of, of stocks, right? Which is a, a share, a piece of a company. And it's not something you just, you know, buy one day and then sell the next. Well, sometimes you could sell the next depending on if you're a day trader, right? Um, but all about, you know, being very calculated in, 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 in what you want and in your goals. Um, and it, that's, I think that's a principle for any asset in life, not just for financial literacy as well. I really love this idea of, of turning some of these financial concepts into something that's much more relatable and tangible, like the delayed gratification. So with that in mind, are there any other nifty little allegories like that you all can share with us? Because I think that a lot of us have a hard time kind of relating some of these abstract concepts in a way that's really, you know, and real. I can't think of the word I was thinking of. Tangible, maybe. Real. Yeah, concrete. <laughs> yeah, concrete. That's the yeah. opposite of abstract, and that's where I was going with that. <laughs> yes, do we have any more examples? So, um, we have a book that's another book that's coming out um, that we're super, super Ooh. excited about. And it's going to be for like slightly younger readers in our current book. And um, it's called Mrs. Honey's ABCs of Money. And um, it's essentially like an ABC book. And we have like these graphics in there that's going to like illustrate um, some of those like tangible, like concrete, like ways of explaining, um, for example, like, what's an asset, like how do you explain asset to uh, like an eight-year-old, right? But we were able mm -hmm. to, you know, bring it to life with like these really wonderful images. You know, I'll just give you guys an example of one. Actually, no, the one I really like um, is, um, well, which is the one that we use like the puzzles? Um, home equity? Yes, okay. So one of our terms in the book is um, equity. And we're like, okay, how do you, and you know, like, you know, kids are like visual learners, right? Um, and what's going to grab their attention in the book is if they see like graphics and like colors. It was like, how can we bring that to life? And it was like, well, um, pieces of a puzzle, right? Like as you're building the puzzle and putting the pieces on together, like you're building equity, you're gain, gain, like gaining greater ownership until, let's just pretend it's like a, a, a puzzle depicting a house. As you put all those pieces together, you're, you're, you're gaining greater and greater ownership, you know, of that house until the puzzle is fully complete. So that's just like one example, and I think that's appropriate for you know, like eight-year-old, right? Because they could do puzzle, like more advanced puzzles, even younger probably, more advanced puzzles, and they could start to learn, like, you know, as you're building on something, as you're paying something back, um, or as you're owning more of something. Um, in a way, it's like a, putting a, a puzzle, you know, together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would just add to like, you know, where we the, this book that Duke um, just mentioned, he has financial literacy, but we also wanted to hone in like another core principle. Like, for example, one of the words is wealth, right? Like, what is wealth? So even if you talk to like adults or like, you know, people like me and you here on the on, we would say wealth is just, you know, having lots of money, right? But we kind of took a deeper, deeper dive into that, that, you know, wealth itself it's something a, a, a lot deeper, right? Like you could have a lot of money, you could have a lot of cash, but are you 
truly indeed wealthy. Like there's other aspects of, of wealth, mm-hmm. like having good health, right? right. And I think that's, that's being wealthy, right? Not having to take like medications every day and not being really sick and hospitalized. Like we don't want to take those kind of things for granted. So mm-hmm. yes, um, money, cash, assets, it can be, you know, part of wealth, but wealth is like happiness, right? It's being, you know, healthy and there's just so much other facets, but yes, so financial literacy is a, an important concept that we definitely want to reiterate um, in, 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 in all of our books. But we also wanted to make sure folks understand that, yes, but um, there's like other things to consider, like happiness, right, family. So we definitely have weaved that into the book that Kenneth, um, Dupe just, I keep saying Kenneth because I call her Kenneth because she's the second twin. <laughs> but I know we didn't introduce her as Kenneth yet. So I'm like refraining from saying Kenneth every time I refer to you. <laughs> but that's what I call her. <laughs> I, called, I call her Kenneth. <laughs> Um, um, and so, so, so yeah, we, we, we weave that within the book and also within the first book, um, those are the concepts. Can I just mention one other thing, Miriam, too? So, um, to your sure. question, like the, the concrete, tangible stuff. So my son got as a gift recently, a, a piggy bank, um, which I think is good too for like for that age group now, because, um, and like the other day I was telling him like, what, like, what is, like, what is money? Cause he, you know, there was a quarter on the floor. He's like, well, what is that? And I was like, well, it's perfect. This is, you brought it up, right? This is a perfect opportunity. Let's start talking about money. What is that? And I was like, oh, you know, this is money. You know, mommy, dad, we have to go to work because we get, you know, this money and um, everything costs money, right? <laughs> like it's important for you to know that. So whenever he's like, oh, I'm going to buy this, that, and that. I'm like, well, everything costs something. And now let's tie that back to this piggy bank that's now in your room. And we can start, we, you know, we're starting to put money in there, you know, just quarters and pennies and nickels for now. So you could hear it in, in the piggy bank. Mm-hmm. Um, but my plan is once he's maybe a little older, maybe by the time he starts like 4K, um, to set like goals that we could put on a board, you know, once he reaches like a dollar, you know, that could unlock something else. Maybe we'll go to the store and pick out something for him. Um, and then the delayed gratification is, um, but if you wait until you get $5, then we could get an even something even bigger, right? Maybe instead of just grabbing like a candy bar at the store, now you can get like a toy that you want for $5. But if you wait until you get like $25 or $50, you know, that's even better because now we can take you to like Sesame. We're going to have to supplement that because those places cost like $100, but you know what I mean, right? Like to start to like build on the delayed gratification, like, okay. You do, you do things, you get to save, and then, you know, depending, you could set goals and depending on your goals, you know, if you delay um, more immediate wants, uh, you can, uh, you know, eventually reap even bigger and better things. So he, he's not quite there yet, because he's still kind of young, but that's kind of um, what I'm planning towards. I think that's awesome. I know that just listening to you talk about these tangible concepts, it got me so excited because to me, it's like, yes, this book is for children, but as parents and adults read it, they can take some gems and apply them to their own lives too. And to me, that's the favorite, that's my favorite part of children's books. The lessons are for the youth, but there's always something special that adults can glean from it too. And it sounds like you've just intertwined all these great ideas throughout your book. And I think that's terrific. You brought up wealth and I want to kind of unpack that a little bit because in the black community recently, we've been hearing a lot of people talk about generational wealth and whether or not we as a community and as a culture are going to be able to have generational wealth to pass down to our children. And we know and we've talked about in many different circles that Black women are some of the leading entrepreneurs in society right now. And I know that in our community, those who homeschool and teach their kids, a lot of times it's it's Black women who also have entrepreneurship endeavors. And I want to kind of touch on that just a little bit because I think it's important for us as a community to really kind of define what generational wealth is. Because we we talk about it, we hear the phrase, but what does that actually mean? And I know you you define the word wealth, but it, as it um, 
comes into play with generational wealth, wealth that we're passing down to our children. Like how, how many generations are we trying to pass it down to? Can you talk about generational wealth? And can we also tag mm -hmm. on there in terms of not just what it is, but what are some ways that we can all uh, aspire to that and how we can start to make those building blocks stack up? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I could, I could um, start off. So I know like, you know, me and Kenneth, we've always talked about, okay, what are some ways in which we could create wealth for, you know, children and children's children, you know, because we're always thinking about, okay, yes, it's us right now, at least for me, it is, I don't have any children yet. Um, but what can I even pass on, right, to generations? Um, so I think for, at least for, for us, right, one aspect is, okay, so yes, you know, thankfully we have careers, we have like 401k matching, we have things like that, we leverage those to the greatest extent possible, because that's for retirement, but like what other assets, things that we could achieve right now that we can make sure that we could pass on? So of course, you know, real estate. So Ken and I, we're um, a big fan of real estate where, you know, we're hoping to be able to um, expand our real estate business, right? So it's, um, that's also one thing that, you know, I think folks could, could definitely take it, take advantage of if they, if they're able to have that, that capital, right? Um, and I think even now within this country, there's, you know, a couple of avenues that folks could take to be able to get into real estate and by get into, I mean, you know, be able to purchase homes and then obviously you can hold on for the homes for some time, hopefully appreciate and value, sell it and then, you know, kind of continue on um, in, in, in that path. But that's one way of, of creating generational wealth. And then also you had mentioned about, you know, stocks earlier as well, right? That's also um, um, another another avenue. I know, Kende, like you have opened up 529 accounts for your children, making sure that, you know, when it's time for them to go off to school, if college is the path that they do choose, that they already have something like that covered. They wouldn't take on that breadth of debt that does definitely clouds a lot of people within the, the black community, like student loans is a huge thing that definitely adds a burden to also creating that generational wealth. Kida, you wanna add um, any other? Yeah, I'll add. I mean, I'll just caveat it by saying, you know, I'm no authority on generational wealth. We're all just trying to figure it out, you know, ourselves. But um, on top of the, like the real estate and the stocks, I feel like one of the, and if you look, you can look at all the examples, right? In, in history, where there are families who have like wealth in their legacy. And in many cases, it's through like a business that becomes like successful. And that business then becomes a, a stream for income for the, the current generation and then all the generations that follow. And that's why we, Lola and I, are always like trying to toss ideas back and forth. We're like, okay, well, we have our real estate, right? We have some properties now that we're renting to tenants and we want to continue to like build on that, continue to add. Um, properties to that business will become, you know, a business for us and future generations. But are there other businesses that we can start um, that will bring on additional streams of income for us today, but then continue to do so for the future? Because I think that's how you cement that generational wealth. Like you're not going to get wealthy by working a nine to five job, even if that nine to five job is like paying you half a million to a million. You're just, you're just not going to get wealthy that way. Um, nor is that going to necessarily be, that's not the best foundation for generational wealth either. It needs something a little bit more enduring. Um, and for us, we want, we, like, we feel like business is the way to, to get there. So that's what we're, that's kind of like what we're trying to build out right now. When you said that, it made me think about um, defining the word asset, because sometimes I think people don't necessarily understand that a home, the reason why it's a good investment is, is, is because it's an asset. And you touched on that earlier. And I think that um, in our community, sometimes we go for the cars, we go for um, things that may depreciate in value because they're shiny, they're new and they look good, but just like you were talking about, we have to look further down the line and delay that sort of gratification and think about something that is going to build. And even if we're putting money like in the bank, what type of um, investments are you considering at the bank? They have different types. It's not just a checking and savings account. Those are not your only options. They have mutual funds. There's all different types of funds that you can actually invest in. And I think 
um, it's helpful for us to talk about those different types of assets, because I think in some of our, there are definitely some people in the Black community that are thriving. They're not just doing well, they are thriving. There is a, a class of money makers that are going above and beyond. They're millionaires moving into billionaires, and we do have billionaires in our community. And so I think um, what you spoke to is very important. So can we talk a little bit about that asset and moving away from, you know, things that will depreciate in value? Yeah, I definitely think it's something that needs to be um, taught more um, starting at a young age to, to kids, right? Because to your point, in our community, that's the cool thing to do is to buy, you know, the, the latest sneakers, is to buy the flashy car, is to use like credit to get those things. But, you know, we're not talking about, well, how about it being cool to get stocks, right? How about it being cool to um, save money away to buy um, down payment, right? To pay for down payment on, on, on a home, right? Things that are going to pay you back um, in the future. Things that could even pay you today and going into the future, right? Those are the kinds of things that need to be taught more so. And if it's not taught in the schools, you know, we have to, we have to, we have to take on, right? Like we have to take on that responsibility for our um, children, families, and our communities, right? So like Lola and I, we feel like extremely passionate about like, this is not being taught in schools. I know I heard Florida passed uh, 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 some legislation to make it mandatory, but who even knows exactly how that's gonna end up like looking like and who there might even be some kind of like disparities in how that ends up getting administered, right? So it's, it's on us, our responsibility to make sure that like we're bringing this knowledge to our communities and we're slowly chipping away at that um, at that financial literacy knowledge gap because there's a real knowledge gap in overall in the U United States just generally. But then when you break that down by ethnicity, like it is so way more pronounced in black communities than it is in any other community. And that's just like sad because how are we gonna get, how are we gonna build generational wealth? How are we gonna get out of a cycle um, of poverty in some communities, uh, a cycle of um, just being behind all the time if we don't like start with some of the foundations of just understanding how money works, right? Like what's a savings account? What's investment? Like some of these studies that measure financial literacy, they start from the basics and it's finding like real alarming disparities in um, the financial literacy knowledge. Um, so I don't, I don't even know the answer to your question, but I felt like that's something that we, we had to, you know, you know, speak on. And then just one other observation, you know, that, that I have had, I don't know if you guys have observed this as well, is that in certain communities, you know, I, I think folks uh, do a better job in um, maybe coming together to combine, you know, assets and to work together um, to then be able to purchase like a, a house or to build a business in ways that I don't, I'm not quite seeing that same kind of coming together in the Black community. You know, just Lola, even Lola and I, right, as sisters, we kind of maybe start within the family, let's come together. But we've had conversations about, okay, how do we maybe do some sort of like a collective, right? Like there are like-minded folks like us who maybe they don't have enough money individually to purchase a property, but hey, let's gather six of us together. That's a start, right? And then from there, now you have a house, you have a property that you can then leverage to then purchase the next one, right? And then kind of start building from there. And I think other communities do a little bit better um, than, than we do within our own community. Okay, now you said a lot of information. Now I'm trying to remember Elle's original question there, but those are very good. <laughs> very, very good to say. <laughs> assets, yes, yes, assets. Um, so as Kenneth mentioned, um, so so definitely that foundation, right? That's very important. I think anything in life, right? Whether you're going on to a new career your job, learning a language, it all, it all comes down to that basic foundational, um, you know, knowledge. So I think just being able to, being able to just educate starting at the very beginning, right, as young kids in school, um, being able for them to kind of understand needs versus wants, because that's very, very 
important. Um, not everything is something that, I mean, we may want a lot of things in life. Like I want to be a millionaire. That's, that's definitely, you know, for sure. And I'm hopefully I'm on my path to be one. Um, but being able to understand, okay, what do I need to do today in order to get me there, right? There are some sacrifices that people will, you have to make, right? You can't, maybe you can't just, you know, go to brunch every Friday. I mean, sorry every Saturday, right? Maybe, you know, you got to put some of that money aside so you could, um, you know, invest in a business, right? That you want to, that you, that you want to pursue, right? It all, it all starts from, from somewhere and being able to understand that certain assets are, you know, are investments and certain assets are, are really waste. Um, so I think just basically um, providing that foundation for folks to know the difference. Yeah. And just also on that point, because I do remember when, you know, you first out of college, um, you know, making, a, you know, a, a, a decent salary for a college graduate, um, you know, learning about retirement accounts and putting money away in a lot of ways, it doesn't really feel like it's your money, right? Because it leaves your paycheck, it's going into this account. And a lot of, in some ways, it feels like you're robbing yourself. But then, you know, eventually you have to learn. This is something that they need to really start teaching kids at a young age. Right? This is your money. This is like assets are yours right it's your property so as much as you might not be able to enjoy it and use it now it's something that you own very much like that fancy sneaker or that fancy car that you want to get but instead this thing is paying you today and into the future whereas that car you know that you don't need or those fancy clothes that you don't need they're not paying you and they're not working for you they're not doing anything you know for you not to say we don't need cars and clothes and obviously and you should, like people should look nice and stuff <laughs> but like if you don't have the money for it right and it's something that that you think is an asset is now very much quickly turning into like a liability instead right um so definitely all important things that we need to teach our our, our kids well lola you just mentioned assets that are beneficial and assets that can be a waste mm -hmm. and i'm curious as to what kinds of assets can be just a complete waste of time and energy. Oh yeah, I, I was referring to like being material. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought like, there was something like a, a car or something. I mean, depending on, obviously you need a car to go to work, right? But do you need to spend 50 or $70,000 right. on a car with rims? And you know, it's, it's an asset, right? But like Elle mentioned, it's, it's most likely gonna depreciate. Indeed. Okay, well then my next question that I was wondering about was, in terms of working towards building wealth for your children, are there any things that you think are a good idea to put in your children's name? I know um, not so much recently, but you have artists that will name their children as a producer on an album or something so that they can get the royalties that come back off of that or um, that buy their children property. They have a a multi-family building that is in their name and they're renting under that. So are there any other things? Hold on, please, baby. Um, are there any other things that are a good idea to put in your children's name while they're still young that can help to boost them when their time comes? Yeah, I'm not sure, to be quite honest. I've been seeing a lot of that. Um, it's definitely something I want to look more into. I mean, what I have in, in, in their name really is just like a college savings account. But, you know, um, the property, the real estate thing, that's actually one of the things I want to, like, I want to learn more about to see if that, you know, that makes sense to go that route. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that information would be good, like um, to ask uh, like a licensed like, financial advisor, I think sometimes because you want to make sure you're doing things in the right way for like tax purposes as well. Um, and we're not we're not licensed uh, tax practitioners and or CPAs. We're not fast. So I don't want to um, I want to make sure everyone understands that we're more about like educating. Um, but yes, I, I definitely have heard individuals um, who've like bought a house and make sure they put their they put their child's name like on the house. So now the child grows up and the house is under, you know, under their name. Some of those accounts that Kenna just mentioned previously, you mentioned about adding the name as a producer. I mean, that sounds, that sounds great. I haven't even heard about that, but if they're getting royalties. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that's great. But I think there are many ways for folks to be creative and start to think kind of outside the box um, to see exactly how to kind of, you know, you know, leverage, leverage money that's there and for their, for their children. 
Yeah, I definitely want to kind of talk about that leverage and say that, you know, whoever is listening, I definitely um, encourage you to learn more about trust for your children, because there are many different avenues that we need to be putting money aside and different types of accounts have different types of protection. And some states are going to be better um, to put money aside from your children than others because our country is um, divided by different states. The laws are actually different depending on where you live. So you do need to talk to a financial advisor to find out where um, is going to be the best investment for your family and your situation. But I'm, I'm also wondering because as I've gotten older and learned more as an adult, I realized that when I was younger, I looked at all debt as bad. But now that I'm adult, an adult, I no longer look at all debt as bad. And I also value some debt and I value taking out loans. I value being able to use other people's money to buy the things that I want and create investment from their money and keep my money where, you know, <laughs> building and storing up things. So I think there's so many levels that we can learn as adults and really go into. Um, but to me, that concept of debt, um, yes, there are some debts that we definitely don't want to be involved with, but there are some debts that actually can help us move into greater um, positions in life. You know, we we had a president not too long ago who was the king of debt. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, people always talked about the money that he made, but he had a lot of debt and he used other people's money to build his wealth. And I think we have to look at other people that we may not always agree with all of the decisions that they make, but there can be lessons and different things that we can take from it. And that's one of the lessons that I've been trying to learn more about how to get your debt to earn money for you. One of the things that really stuck out to me in learning more about money is you don't pay taxes on debt but you do pay taxes on money earned. So that is why a lot of wealthy people use debt in order to grow their money. And I don't know if you guys can speak to that and the um, magicalness of that, because it's, it's pretty magical in my view. Oh yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's how, it's how we are building our real estate soon to be empire, right? Um, and when we're looking at properties to buy and we're evaluating whether or not it's going to be a good deal. Um, we kind of focus less on like the overall price tag, but, um, and less on what the interest rates are and all of that, but we're kind of just looking at monthly. Okay. This is how much we would owe on the mortgage, but is how much we can make on rent. And if, as long as, um, what we can make on the rent is, um, more than what we would pay in the mortgage, that's not a bad that's not bad debt in that case. Um, it's still debt, right? Because you still have to pay the bank back the money. But um, that that debt is allowing us to own um, an asset that is going to appreciate over time as well. So in addition, in addition to um, having an, an asset that's appreciating, we're also getting um, positive cash flow every month that's being used to pay off that debt with some leftover <laughs> to you know, put, you know, on, on the side. Um, and when, when we first started kind of getting into like this real estate stuff and like, wow, um, I think growing up, well, let me ask one of the things you were alluding to, cause like debt was like a bad thing, right? Like our parents were always like mortgage, bad, 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 bad. <laughs> and now that we're older, it's like, I wish I knew the power of like leveraging debt sooner because I would have honestly bought more properties like back when they were so cheap. I would have bought way more, you know, back then. So I mean, it's a missed opportunity and you live and you learn and you, and you, and you pass that forward. But um, yeah, Lola, do you think you would? Mm -hmm. No, you, said, you just have to be, you know, smart about it and just basically understand um, the debt that you're going to accumulate, right? Everything, I think everything in life needs to be calculated, right? And it, it is a risk like any, like anything else, but um, as long as you kind of do your research, you know where you're getting yourself into. 
um, and you kind of understand what sort of potential it could bring in the future. I think that's, you know, that's, that's good. Like student loans is a perfect example, right? Um, as long as the student loan itself is not like so much as it's overwhelming and you understand that when you do graduate, the likelihood of you receiving um, um, a, a rare a job that's could actually help you pay off that debt, then sure, I think that's an, that's an investment, right? It's all about looking on that return of investment and not, not every single debt is, is bad, just be, um, just be calculated. Well, yeah, I think the return on investment, that's a good point, yeah. Because if that if if the debt is going to allow you to to make a return, then it's 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 a good decision. So you ladies have spoken quite a bit about um, real estate. I want to know if you all are into or interested, or what your take is on cryptocurrency. It seems to be like the biggest newest thing, and it. It's even more abstract than, you know, money in the bank <laughs> and how the exchanges and the mining and all these other things. What are, what are you all, what are you all's thoughts on the cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency, as far as I know, is so volatile. <laughs> I mean, I, I have invested in it, right? I did. I started uh, late last year. Um, this was after Bitcoin had already reached its height, so I kind of jumped on that band bandwagon late. <laughs> however, I kind of wished I would have done it earlier. But however, because I'm not I'm not necessarily educated on the nuances of cryptocurrency, I haven't I need to take the time to actually really sit down. You know, I've read um, a little bit of information here and there, but I have dabbled right, and I see it as play money, and I call it play only because. I'm not necessarily sure about that return on investment, right? And I didn't put too much money into it just because I still need to do some more research and I need to understand like what's going on. Um, I know like about two or three weeks ago, I definitely logged into my wallet just to kind of see the value. Um, I was taken aback because it was much lower <laughs> than what I put in. But, you know, that's, again, that's what it calls about doing your research, right? Um, you have to be careful and be calculated and not put all of your eggs, as they say, in one basket. You need to have a diversified portfolio. Um, like real estate, you have you know money that you may put in stocks, you may have any other assets, but I think the key lesson there is, I mean, I don't know, I wouldn't recommend anyone to put all of their money in cryptocurrency because just as, it's just too volatile, at least, at least right now it is. Um, and, and that's why I'm a little hesitant to at least put some, um, you know, a lot of my hard earned money in there. Uh, what about you? Can yeah, I no, I think you. I think you made the point to do 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 your research. Like me too. I, I've dabbled in it, but I haven't devoted the time I should um, yet to fully understanding it because I want to make sure that you know I don't need to become like a cryptocurrency expert, but and, and understand it enough so that I know what what the risks are that come along with it, um, potential ups and downs um, before putting even more money into it. But it does seem like it's. Um, it's a wave in the future, right? A wave of the future. So it is on my list of things to research and look into more. I mean, I would say like what I like about it is that it doesn't, it's not much of a barrier of entry, like other, you know, other things like perhaps like real estate has a higher level to a certain degree, a higher level of cash that's involved. With cryptocurrency, I think um, it's the the audience who could able to participate is a lot wider. So I think that's definitely a plus there. Um, but yeah, definitely do the research, understand that's kind of said the risk in, in, involved, um, just like any other any other avenue of, of, of wealth. Yes, I, I'm right there with you both. Um, I think it's fascinating to watch how it has grown. Um, I do wish I had gotten in a little bit earlier because I think that I would have been more comfortable putting a little bit in and watching it grow versus where it's at now where you have to put a little bit more in to see, you know, how it moves. But I think um, they've made it kind of easy. So like with Cash App, you can invest in Bitcoin and with PayPal, like if you have money in those places, you can dabble in it and learn. And so, yes, you don't want to put yourself in a, a bad position, but those type of systems are easy enough that you can do them and your kids can do them even. Because I know um, 
when the pandemic happened, my husband um, started teaching our children about, um, you know, what, <laughs> what businesses are pandemic proof. So what businesses should we still invest in, even though a lot of these places have shut down and that's something that they really uh, researched and they got really excited about it. So, you know, it gave them something to look forward to and they still have money in there that they're seeing rise and fall as stocks and um, different money does. So I think that there are definitely apps and systems that already exist now that make that learning process a little bit easier. Are, are there any apps that you would recommend? Um, you know, I mentioned that Cash App and PayPal were easy ways to kind of dabble in it. Are there any that you know of? Because I, I know that Robinhood is um, an investment app that uh, we've used as well. Um, but do you know of any that you like? Yeah, I mean, I use Vanguard because they have a lot of low cost mutual funds. Um, so kind of getting to the um, the point that Lola made about like barriers to entry, you know, for those who might not have a whole lot to start off with. So they don't want all of their money going to the administrative fees associated with the mutual funds like, the, you know, Vanguard, they have a lot of options that are that are pretty low cost. So a good way to, for folks to start. Mm -hmm. And I think a few years ago, um, Kenna, we we did use Betterment, oh, yeah. and I think that was also that was also yeah we had very good returns there. We we used that for a few years. Um, I think that was kind of our first. I think that was our first platform, right? In which we kind of um, it was called I think ShareBuilder before another right. company took over. <laughs> Um, and then it was Betterment, but, but, but yeah, those are some of the good platforms. And I want to say like YouTube university, like we learn so many things, right. <laughs> but obviously we're going to make Google a like, <laughs> reputable source, but there are a lot of these companies like Vanguard or like TD Ameritrade where they put free educational content on, on YouTube. There was like a free conference, virtual one that was, um, on YouTube hosted by, I think it was TD Ameritrade and they had like a whole morning, a Saturday morning of, of sessions around one of the sessions was on cryptocurrency. You know, they spoke about like the outlook for the market of 2022. Um, so it's like a lot of really high quality free education, you know, out there again to the barriers of entry is like it's it's no one could say that they can't get the information now, right? Like it's 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 accessible through our phones on the palm of our hands. So if we could watch Netflix and Hulu and all those things, we could devote 30 minutes to, <laughs> you know, increasing our, our knowledge um, on our finances. Absolutely. I just watched a conference um, put on by the SBA, which is the Small Business Administration. And um, it was a free conference and uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, she um, she spoke. It was a lot of heavy hitters in the um, who were females who owned businesses that were doing well and thriving during the pandemic. So I found it to be very inspirational. Um, I know we only have a few minutes, but I wanted to really get into your book because what I what is unusual, but what I love about it is that it's a chapter book. Um, why did you decide to write a chapter book and um, tell a story about money? You want to go first, Ola? <laughs> I know, I think the, the original journey started off, I think at the end of 2017, when we were just discussing like, hey, what's a, what's, a, what's a good avenue in order to kind of educate folks about our passion for financial literacy? Um, and then it was, then we talked about, I think, so my husband is a, is a writer, right? And then the idea of actually, you know, writing a book came, you know, from, from him, right? Um, so we decided, hey, let's, let's take these ideas that we have on here, let's put it in a fiction book, because we wanted to be relatable, right? We didn't want to create a textbook um, that just has like dry material. No, you know, we know we want to encourage young people to read and we want to encourage young people to learn about financial literacy and what's best and to have a fun, interesting, you know, novel that weaves in the financial literacy concepts. And we wanted to we wanted to um, write quite a few financial literacy concepts, which is why it was ended up being a chapter book. 
um, that follows, you know, the journey of these twin sisters. Me and Kanel, we grew up in Brooklyn, New York. We wanted the twin sisters to basically kind of be a, a, a replica, right? <laughs> kind of tell a replica kind of of, of, of us. Um, so that's kind of why we decided to to uh, write this chapter book. Yeah, so folks who are, the, the kids and adults who read the book will be learning financial literacy concepts without even knowing it because it's it's so fun. Um, and it's, you know, a chapter turner, but, you know, our hope is by the end, you know, we would have weaved those concepts around like savings and investments. We talk about um, needs versus wants, like budgeting, but in a way that's fun and like light and like easy to, to read. So that kids also want to read it again and again and again and recommend it to their you know, friends and family and give it out as gifts, et cetera. That's awesome. My girls love to read. So I definitely have to get the book for them. Um, it's so funny because when we have different people on the show, I try to support and buy the book and my kids read them all before I get a chance <laughs> to read them because they just love the, they love reading. And so they, they tell me all about the different people's books and I'm like, oh, okay, let me hurry up and read it so we can discuss it as a family. So I think, um, you know, being that my girls are twins, they haven't always been able to read books with twins that are young black girls just like them. So I'm excited to give them that opportunity. And I definitely look forward to seeing the future books um, that you write and the new series that you're coming out with. So I'm very excited for you both. And um, if there are people who want to purchase your book, can you say the name of your book and where they can find it? Yes. So the name of our current book is Taiwo and Kende, The Wedding Trip. Um, and it's available on Am uh, Amazon right now. Um, and then folks can also find out more information on our website, which is www.taiwoandkende.com. And we'll also um, be posting information about the new series coming out, which is the ABCs of Money. This is Honey's ABCs of Money on um, our website as well. Awesome. Okay. And listen, everybody, if you are listening, go to cleverlychanging.com. We will have all of this information in our show notes. So don't fret. We got you. Quick question on the story. So you did mention earlier in the conversation that the um, Mrs. Honey's ABC were going to be geared to a younger audience. So what would you say would be your recommended reading age for Tabo and Kendall. So Tabo and Kendall is called a middle so, yeah. grade novel, right? Ola, what age group? Middle grade novel. So okay. we, I mean, it depends on reading level. So, but definitely A plus, mm -hmm. uh, most likely ten plus for um, for for you know regular readers. Okay. Okay. And do we have any social media outlets that we would like to also promote so that folk can follow you? and keep abreast and know when Mrs. Honey is coming out hot. <laughs> yes, definitely. So we're on Facebook and Facebook is Tyro and uh, I just type in Facebook, Tyro and Kenneth. We're also on Instagram and the Instagram handle is at Tyro underscore and underscore Kenneth. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a mouthful. Um, but, but yeah, you could definitely follow us. We'll have the latest updates. We'll have a countdown on exactly when Mrs. Honey's ABCs of Money will be out. Um, um, I think we're shooting for definitely this summer. So summer 2022. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing about your books. And I think that this definitely gives us a lot of different things that we can research with our families and look more into. And I definitely want to plug your book just one more time. So if you are a parent with children who are in the middle school age range, definitely. Um, and you can always get books early. I know my yeah. girls were early readers, so it's never too early to purchase a chapter book for your child because you can also read the book to your kids. They make the right. best bedtime stories. So Taiwo and Kende, The Wedding Trip, 
That is the name of the book. And if you go to our show notes page, you will find a direct link. So definitely support and follow our guest. We are so happy that they spent time telling us about what they do and their love for financial literacy. So thanks so much for tuning in and have a wonderful day. Did you know that we sell merchandise to keep our podcast going? Order a hoodie, t-shirt, mugs, and more today. Visit cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.